Let me once more say good morning to all of you. It is really good to be here this morning. What I'd like to start out with first is, um, if you take out your bulletins and turn to the back page of your bulletin, I want to draw your attention to what is there. Um, On Saturday, April the 12th, we'll be having a special outreach day here at Netherwood Park. It's a day where there'll be lots of activities going on. There'll be displays set up. Um, Our desire is to introduce ourselves and what we do to the community that is around us. Uh, We not only want to introduce ourselves, but more importantly, we want to introduce Jesus Christ to the community that is around us. And what we really need, because we have all the activities set up, we have all the plans in place, we need people here. What I want you to think about is who you can invite from your friends, from your family, from your neighbors to come on that day and get to know more about Netherwood Park and more about Jesus Christ. As we go through the sermon today, we'll be talking about those kind of things, about inviting surprising people um, and then being surprised by what God does in their lives. So be thinking about who you can invite to be with us on that day. Do that prayerfully and then follow through and actually invite those people. So please do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the many, many blessings that you give us. And Father, we know that we're aware and mindful of some and others. We have no idea the ways that we're being blessed. And Father, we just thank you for your rich mercies. Father, our desire is to come to know you better. Our desire is to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. But our desire also, Father, is that others may come to know Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will instill within us a a spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are around us. Pray, Father, that you'll give us that boldness, that courage to go to people who may not be ones that the, the world would think were candidates to be disciples of yours and share the good news with them. And, Father, we trust that if we plant the seed that you'll bring the harvest. And, Father, we pray this through your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So this morning we're going to continue our new sermon series that's entitled, Come Follow Me. It's a sermon series where we'll continue to focus on our 2014 Netherwood Park theme, which is that all may know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a theme that was selected because we do want to follow Jesus. We do want to respond to his call at all times and in all places and in all situations. So in this series, we'll place our feet firmly in the sandals of Jesus' very first disciples. And we'll see where he led them. And we'll do this so we can learn about the places he is likely to lead us as we seek to follow him wherever he goes. In the first week of the series, we looked at the call of Jesus' very first disciples. And we marveled at their willingness to literally drop everything and immediately follow him. And we saw that James and John and Peter and Andrew and Matthew were able to drop everything and follow Jesus into the completely unknown future because they put their trust and their faith in who they were following rather than where they would be going and what they would be doing and when and how things would happen. And we affirmed our desire to be disciples who, in the words of Corey Ten Boom, are never afraid to trust our unknown future to the God we know. 
This week, we'll follow Jesus into Samaria and we'll observe a remarkable interaction with a woman beside Jacob's well. Next week, we'll follow Jesus into a storm and we'll see how Jesus' presence brings true peace and true comfort to our lives in the midst of our storms. And then on the first Sunday in April, we'll follow Jesus to an upper room. We'll follow him there for a meal and we'll see that eating with Jesus provides the strength and the nourishment that we need to continue down the path with him. The next Sunday is April 13th, and that's during our community outreach weekend. We expect to have a lot of visitors on that day. And on that day, we'll follow Jesus to the cross, and we'll see that walking with Jesus will often require us to walk against the winds of public opinion, against the winds of peer pressure, and against the winds of fear. The Sunday after that is Easter Sunday, and again, we expect to have a lot of visitors on that Sunday, and that Sunday we'll follow Jesus to the tomb, but we won't leave him in the tomb, because we'll also follow him out of the tomb, and we'll follow him to the life that's promised by God our Father. And then in our final week of the series, we'll follow Jesus' disciples into the community of the first church, and we'll see that having Jesus in common is having everything in common. So I hope that you'll make every effort to be here throughout the series as we together strive to follow Jesus at all times, in all places, and in all situations. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be in the fourth chapter, and we'll spend all of our time in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. The fourth chapter of John is a chapter that's probably very familiar to many of us because it relates a story that's very familiar to us. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's a story that's rich in significance and it's brimming with areas of practical and theological insight. In fact, I think one could quite easily preach a whole series of sermons from this one chapter alone. But I'm not going to try to preach a whole series today so you can relax about that. Our focus this morning will be much narrower than that as we continue to explore what it means to follow Jesus. So as we approach the text, I want us all to focus on the key point of this morning's sermon. And the key point is this, and you'll find it in your outline. Jesus will lead us into surprising places to meet surprising people in order to expand his kingdom in surprising ways. Jesus will lead us into surprising places to meet surprising people in order to expand his kingdom in surprising ways. So let's follow Jesus to the well. John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now on the surface, this may not sound very surprising, but bear with me for just a couple of minutes. I'm going to put on my professor's hat and talk a little bit about history, and I'm going to talk a little bit about geography And I'm going to do that because both history and geography are crucial 
for us to be able to understand how surprising it is that Jesus led his disciples to Jacob's well. We'll display a map of first century Palestine. And we'll do that to help us understand where these events are taking place. So Jesus and his disciples have been in and around Jerusalem. You'll see Jerusalem is here. And because of what's going on, the events that have taken place, some Pharisees have decided that they're really not happy with Jesus. And Jesus, apparently out of concern for what might occur, decides it's time to go home. It's time to go north. It's time to go back to Galilee. So from Jerusalem to Galilee is where they have to go. Jesus is going to lead his disciples there. Now, if you look at the map, it appears fairly straightforward about what route you would take, right? Shortest point between two places, a direct route. In fact, if you pulled out your phone and you plugged in Jerusalem as the beginning point and Nazareth as the ending point, it would lead you on a road right through here, directly through Samaria. But the decision to go through Samaria was never a straightforward decision for a devout Jew. And in fact, it was very common for Jews at that time to instead choose a very different route, a route that would go from Jerusalem to Jericho, cross the Jordan River, and then go north, and then head back across the Jordan River, finally into Galilee. And they would do that just to avoid having to go through Samaria. And that trip would take two to three extra days to complete. So why would anyone make that choice? Simply put, they would make that choice to avoid any contact with the Samaritans. See, it's difficult for me to overstate the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans at this time. The animosity was long-standing. It was deeply held, and it was rooted in racial and religious differences. The area that you see on your map was all once part of the United Kingdom of Israel. But even at that time, animosity existed between the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And that animosity exploded at the death of King Solomon. And it resulted in the kingdom being divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom, known as Israel, with its capital, Samaria, and Judah, and its capital, Jerusalem, to the south. But that was only the beginning point of the animosity between the cousins. What took the animosity to hatred is what occurred after each of them had been conquered by other countries. Israel was conquered first by the Assyrians. Judah was conquered later on by the Babylonians. See, when the Assyrians conquered someone, they moved them away. And they moved them away so that they would weaken the country. But they didn't move everybody away. They also moved other conquered people into that area. And that's what happened to Israel. The Assyrians moved many of the northern Jews to other conquered countries. And they moved many citizens of conquered countries into Israel. And those Jews that remained intermarried with the foreigners. And most alarmingly, they adopted many of their pagan religious practices. But the Babylonians did things differently. When the Babylonians conquered Judah, they exported almost all of the southern Jews to Babylonia. And they allowed them to continue the worship of the true God. So when the southern Jews returned to Jerusalem, they found that their neighbors to the north were now people 
who were mixed race and people who practiced a religion that was a hybrid of their Jewish and their pagan roots. And for those Judean Jews, people who consider themselves religiously pure and racially pure, having the Samaritans occupy a portion of what was the promised land was detestable. It was revolting. It was infuriating. And they would go to great links to heap abuse upon the Samaritans. And they would take great pains to avoid having any contact with the Samaritans. So when John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it runs completely counter to what we would expect to read. Instead, we would expect that Jesus, a devout Jewish rabbi, would have to go around Samaria. Because that's what devout Jews were supposed to do. And that's undoubtedly the road his disciples expected to take to Galilee. So imagine their surprise when he led them right through the middle of Samaria. Over the next few years, the disciples are going to learn that Jesus never allowed what other people thought he should do to dictate what he actually did. No, Jesus did what he had to do, and he always did what he had to do. And what he had to do was the will of his Father. What he had to do was to obey God. And God wanted him to take his disciples and go through Samaria and stop at a well where he would meet a Samaritan woman. So let's meet the woman. John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, we've already established the hatred and the prejudice that the Jews held for the Samaritans. And that begins to explain the woman's surprise. But her surprise was compounded by the fact that rabbis weren't supposed to speak to any woman in public, let alone a Samaritan woman in public. And even if one rabbi was so bold as to break those taboos, he wouldn't ask for a drink of water because that would require using her jar, drinking after her. It would mean intentionally defiling yourself. It would mean making yourself unclean by sharing a cup with a pagan. That's why the woman was surprised. But there are more surprises to come because this woman's keeping a secret and Jesus is about to reveal her secret. John 4, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I can just hear in her brain... Her saying, uh-oh. You know, this isn't just a rabbi who flouts conventional wisdom. This is a prophet who knows my past. This is a prophet who knows my present. And neither my past nor my present are what I would want an obviously holy man to know about. But he knows. And don't you know she was bracing herself 
for what would come next. She was bracing herself for condemnation. She was bracing herself for judgment. And what an obvious and easy target she was. A five times divorced woman who's now living with a man outside of marriage. So maybe that's why she quickly changed the subject. John 4, verse 20. The woman said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You see, the woman didn't need to change the subject. Because Jesus wasn't focused on her past. And Jesus wasn't focused on her present. His focus was on the future. His focus was on the fact that his presence signaled the arrival of the Messiah. His presence signaled the long-awaited coming of the Savior. And surprisingly, he chooses to reveal this fact to a five times divorced Samaritan woman who's living with yet a different man. And the only question now is, what is she going to do with that information? But we're not through with the surprises. John 4, 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? No one asked those questions, but I guarantee you they were all thinking those questions. What do you want, woman? And Jesus, why are you talking with her? They were surprised to find him talking with the woman. In fact, I imagine it was closer to shock than surprise to find him talking to a Samaritan woman. But over the next few years, the disciples are going to learn that Jesus never allowed who other people thought he should associate with to dictate who he actually associated with. And so the woman, what does she do? John 4, 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. She's not keeping secrets any longer. She can't wait to share. She can't wait to tell. She wants to tell them that there's something remarkable going on. There's someone remarkable up at the well, and he just may be the Christ. You have to come see. And you need to come now because he may go away. Surprising, a Samaritan woman spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the shocking part of the story. And the result, John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town 
believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. There goes the time he was going to save by going through the middle of the country. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus led his disciples into a surprising place, Samaria, to meet some surprising people, the woman at the well and her townspeople. And he did that in order to expand his kingdom in surprising ways. Many believers in the very heart of Samaria. So we need to understand as we follow Jesus, we need to be prepared for Jesus to lead us into surprising places. And we need to be prepared for Jesus to introduce us to some surprising people. And we need to understand that he's doing that in order to expand his kingdom in surprising ways. So let's end our time with four lessons and four ways we can apply those lessons from the well in our lives. Our first lesson, and you'll find these also on your outline. The first lesson, judgment withheld when judgment is expected is a very powerful introduction to Jesus. Judgment withheld when judgment is expected is a powerful introduction to Jesus. When we follow Jesus' example and simply acknowledge rather than condemn the sin in other people's past and the sin in their present, we then have an opportunity to introduce them to the solution to their problem with sin. And it's the same solution to our problem with sin, Jesus Christ. So number one, judgment withheld when judgment is expected is a powerful introduction to Jesus. The second lesson I want us to learn is that the most unlikely candidates are often the most effective preachers. The most unlikely candidates are often the most effective preachers. It wasn't the disciples who brought the townspeople to Jesus. It was the Samaritan woman. It was her excitement. It was her personal encounter with Jesus. It was her relationships. That's what made people come and see Jesus. I'm convinced that our most effective preachers are sitting in these pews. I believe that we have hundreds of people who will be here this morning who can use their excitement, who can use their encounters with Jesus, who can use their relationships to tell people about Jesus. They too can say, come and meet Jesus. Surprising people in surprising ways. Our third lesson is come and see must have priority over come and be. Come and see must have priority over come and be. See, I think we need to avoid our tendency to immediately focus on what changes people need to make in their lives, to immediately focus on what people need to do in order to be acceptable to Jesus. But what people need is Jesus. What they need in their lives is a Savior. Once they encounter Jesus, He will call them to obedience. He will call them 
to a new life. We need to be busy bringing them into his presence. So come and see Jesus must always take priority over come and be something different than you are now. The fourth and final lesson is our ability to give is often limited by our unwillingness to receive. I want you to notice what Jesus did. He asked the woman for what he needed before he gave her what she needed. And I believe that fundamentally changed their relationship. And I believe that fundamentally changed their conversation. Also notice that Jesus accepted the invitation to stay in Samaritan homes. And he accepted an invitation to share Samaritan meals. And I believe that fundamentally changed the relationship with the townspeople. And I believe that fundamentally changed the conversations that he was able to have with them. We need to make sure that we never approach others with the attitude that we have all the answers, that we have all the solutions, that we have it all together, and there is absolutely nothing that others can do for us. Just look at what the woman did for Jesus. Many believed because of her testimony. So our ability to give is often limited by our unwillingness to receive. So I want to end with four things I believe we can all start doing right now in response to following Jesus to the well. The first thing I believe we can all do is we can go out of our way to introduce Jesus to others. I want to encourage you to not go to the same places, to not talk to the same people, to not take the same routes. Don't stick to your normal routine. And by all means, don't let others dictate who you are going to interact with. Go out of your way to introduce others to Jesus. And related to that is the second thing that we can do. And that's let others decide if they are receptive to Jesus. Let others decide if they are receptive to Jesus. You know, it's really easy to prejudge and try to predetermine how receptive other people will be to Jesus. And when I think about it, I don't think a five times divorced woman living with a sixth man while practicing pagan religions would make very many people's list of a likely candidate who would be receptive to Jesus. But we need to notice that she made Jesus' list. So let's invite everyone, literally everyone, to come and see Jesus and then let them decide if they want to. And then I think we need to be prepared to be surprised by those who do come. Third thing that we can all do is we all need to stop expecting people to behave like Christians if they don't know Christ. That may seem self-evident and self-explanatory, but I'm convinced we all need to spend less time lamenting the sorry state of the morals and ethics in our world and spend more time introducing people to Jesus the solution to the problems with morals and ethics in our society. Finally, I want to encourage us all to travel needy. To travel needy. We need to be open to what others have to offer. We need to be transparent about our needs. We need to understand that when people are allowed to give to us, 
they're more inclined to receive what we have to offer them. And what we have to offer them is the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's go out of our way to introduce Jesus to others. Let's let others decide if they are receptive to Jesus. And let's not expect people to behave like Christians if they don't even know Christ. And let's all be willing to travel needy. So as we close, my invitation for us all is to allow Jesus to lead us. Lead us into surprising places so we can meet surprising people and then watch and be amazed as Jesus expands his kingdom in surprising ways. This morning, if we can help you follow Jesus, won't you let us know? We would like nothing better than that. You can let us know in a couple of ways. We're going to stand up and sing a song. You can walk to the front and you can just simply say, I want to know more about following Jesus. And we'll do everything within our power to help you with that. If you're more comfortable walking to the back and going to a more private setting, there will be some gentlemen, some godly men, elders of our congregation, who will be back in room 104. They would like nothing better than for you to come to them and say, I'd like to know more about following Jesus. Please let us know as we stand and sing.